1: Welcome to Hot D, the officially unofficial podcast for House of the Dragon on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're back to do our feedback episode for season one, episode one, The Heirs of the Dragon. Aaron, I have to imagine that there was just a flood of feedback. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly about our Game of Thrones coverage, there was a lot of it.
0: It's not quite the torrent that late stage Game of Thrones was, oh, but it's goodness. pretty healthy. Like... Okay. Uh, <laughs> You know, we I, I we we that was one big question we had, like how much of the Game of Thrones faithful are going to come back to the show with all the competition and increased, uh, you know, profile. Of podcasts has got how many are going to find this back to our show? And I am incredibly pleased. Uh, HBO released some statistics, something like ten million people tuned in to see the premiere that night, mm-hmm. which is a new HBO record, uh, and we crested at number four of the podcast and TV and film number. I think we got as high as 33, maybe 31 on iTunes rankings overall. That's okay. phenomenal. So yeah. I really appreciate got so much feedback saying, so glad to have you guys back talking about game of Thrones. So glad to have you all back. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. we have got nowhere to go, but up from here uh, or, or crashing down. I don't know. Maybe just like I said, I've only seen the first episode. We'll, we'll see, but uh, yeah, I've got some friends that have seen more and said they're pretty, they're pretty excited by it, so I am too. Uh, we have a ton of feedback. Uh, fortunately, there was a lot of subjects that kind of well, I don't know. Fortunately, unfortunately, there's a lot of subjects that sucked up a lot of the oxygen in the room. So there's a lot of duplicates, and of course, I always try to go with the either more the the most the, the first or most complete and accurate articulation of an idea um when i'm when i'm awarding my you know I, i've got the i'm a little princess and i've got a little wreath and as i'm and i'm awarding my favors on the emailers I, I try to keep those in in mind but uh mm-hmm. you know i, I appreciate everybody sent in message and i try to write back to everyone i didn't get to read but h o t d hot d at bald is how you send in the feedback to the show uh, there's a lot of places you can send it in, uh, but the only place it's going to get a chance to get read is, is that e- email address, hotd at baldmove.com. And after all, who's got the hottest e, if not bald The broken? Uh, um. <laughs> let's start off with Zach. He says, word is that George R. R. Martin is way with five A's more involved in this show than he was with Game of Thrones. Back when Game of Thrones was in its heyday, George would famously say in interviews that he didn't like to be that involved in the show because the show is a show. My books are my books. They're different stories and I'm focused on making my books. Do you guys think that in the years since Game of Thrones controversial ending, that some of the backlash affected his book sales and readers community, leading him to the conclusion that their public opinion of the show adaptations and the books they're based on are more closely tied than he had anticipated? Could that be why he's gotten more involved with Hot D, apparently wanting them to stick more closely to the source material? Did he learn his lesson about letting creators go running with his vision?
1: I can see that final part being true. Um, being displeased with how the fans took the ending of Game of Thrones, but I would say if the show did anything for his book sales, it boosted it mightily. Sure, uh, there's no way he didn't sell just a shitload more books than he ever would if he hadn't signed a contract. Right, right. No matter how good or bad the show was, uh, it's just more exposure. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think he's fine with how the books went, but yeah, he might as the creator of these stories, be disappointed with the way that those stories were told and want to take the reins back.
0: Yeah. I I wonder if we'll ever get the whole story because it seems like that the double D's boobs that they are and George Martin, a bit of a boob himself were bosom buddies uh, for the first couple of seasons, of game of Thrones, slapping each other on the back, congratulating each other on success. Martin wrote a couple episodes But somewhere in the four, five, six, it seems like, and this is all just kind of, you know, kind of, I guess, informed speculation and guesswork. It seems like there was a mutual kind of falling out. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with George not finishing the books because Mm -hmm. in those early days, he was very confident that he'd have wins out and dance and it would just be this triumphant culmination of everything happening at the same time. I think the double Ds had to start, You know, playing jazz, and I don't think they particularly like doing that. I think they kind of got bored with, uh, you know, they kind of sort of forgot to write the last few seasons in a compelling (laughs) kind of Martin-esque way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think Martin was very happy with how those things ended. We Just something that came out this week is that he had a pretty impassioned plea to HBO to be like, please, can we give this 10 seasons? You know, this needs more time. Uh, it needs it, it needs a little bit more time to breathe. I don't know if he's trying to buy, you know, buy time to finish the books or what. But uh, it seems. Why doesn't
1: HBO go for that? Because. Yeah, hmm.
0: I think HBO would have. I think the double D's were adamant that we okay. are wheels the fuck up sense. out of this thing. And then we're done with get it. wheels the
1: fuck up and get get some other people in there to finish it off. I I don't know. I've heard and I didn't
0: I didn't because this is like Hollywood shit. And I, that's the stuff that like I don't really care, although this is pretty juicy. I heard some unsubstantiated rumors that like Kit Harrington is okay. trying to amass a, a source of funding to, you know, essentially remake the final season or two.
1: Okay. It sounds like f- a wish fulfillment for there, a particular set of fans, but all right.
0: There, there is well, but there's also talks of this Jon Snow sequel. Uh, uh-huh. and I have to think that that would be more successful if they were able to do something like that. And I, you know, it's, it's not super unprecedented. It doesn't happen very often, but like, uh, I was a big fan of, uh, uh, full metal alchemist, and that first anime adaptation was completed before the manga was finished, and they kind of had to play jazz at the end, too. And I, I didn't think it was terrible, but then once the manga came out, they they, they did um, uh, Brotherhood, uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, that essentially redid uh, did the whole series and made it a lot, uh, you know, dovetail with, or not dovetail, it, it made it agree with the ending of the manga, which I enjoyed a lot more. So you can do it. Uh, and I think that with this kind of property is exactly the kind of thing you would do. Like, who says no to like, OK, everything up to season six is canon. We're going to do seven and eight differently after Wins and, and Dream come out. And then we'll have the Jon Snow thing. And we've already got the strong Targaryen base. I, I could I could see an argument for that. I mean, fucking George Lucas did the specialized editions to change some important <laughs> canon. Like you can do it, right? Oh sure, that went super well for him.
1: Yeah, everybody loves but, but the, the only, changes but, he made.
0: But did people get their bitch on that there was going to be special editions, or did they get their bitch on because no, Han shot no. first? You
1: know? Yeah. Uh, well, they got their bitch on because he changed things. Like it yes. wasn't just an updated graphics version of Star Wars; it was. Substantial. But if you change things, if you change things that I think fans enjoy, sure. that so like I, I, yeah, I don't it's know. It's one thing to change beloved material; it's another thing to change stuff that everybody hated. So,
0: so yeah, here you got I, George. I here you got George with a handpicked successor, Ryan Condell, uh, someone that, uh, you know, he has gotten along with and seems to probably see George as over him in terms of like, whereas I think the double D's increasingly saw themselves as over George, huh. you know, which fair enough. Like I, you know, if I had taken the job of adapting someone else's work to a screen and then they just stopped writing halfway through, I'd be kind of salty about it, too. Totally. Uh And I think that he's got this story is done and this is the this is this is where the gardener in him is is ready to shine because all the structure is there and he can just, you know, help them put in tidbits and breathe life into things and answer like lore questions. And this is kind of like him and being the happiest pig in slop. So I I don't know. And I, I do wonder if we'll ever get the whole fucking story of what went on behind the scenes, you know, in late stage Game of Thrones.
1: Uh, yeah lot. almost certainly not
0: <laughs> certainly I don't know Forever's a long time the double D's are relatively young Martin could do some deathbed revelations there could be you know like we found think about how much we found out about the Darabont stuff in uh, uh, mm-hmm. in the walking dead because of like lawsuits and filings and things like that so it's like you, you never know yeah it's an interesting question uh Geoff wants to know is there any chance a wound on visiris back not healing as a sign of grayscale uh mm. do you remember grayscale sure
1: yeah it's the something thing that, that turns you into a stone man apparently
0: yeah something that uh, jorah fucked around and found out when he went to uh, tour in old valeria mm-hmm. on his penance penance mission for danny um I, th- I, uh, so this is all, I mean, obviously I've read the books. I can confirm, I could confirm or deny the a, a, a disease rampaging through King's Landing. Uh, I'm not going to do
1: that. It's very mildly interesting. What do you think? Uh, it doesn't look exactly the same, but it does look similar. I remember it being very gooey, but Sam was like mm-hmm. pulling pieces off of Jorah and, and mm-hmm. the goo was underneath. I didn't see any pieces coming off here, but maybe I just, maybe we started the scene too late. They had already started peeling him.
0: Yeah, it would uh, certainly add a lot of complications to on oh, yeah. top of uh, questions of succession and gendered politics. You throw a unchecked uh, pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. rampaging through the heart of the kingdom. And I there'd be interesting, interesting ties, tie ins with like, you know, modern history, you know. Sure. Uh, so I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. Uh, Adam wonders, are the tournament melees to the death? It just seems so stupid to murder all your knights and lords of the ruling class for a tournament. I kind of assumed these uh, fights were just for exhibition and not for blood. But maybe I missed that detail. Like when Bobby B wanted to join the melee in book one, could he have killed motherfuckers? And I thought that attorney sword was wooden. So you didn't murder your opponent, i.e. Uh, when Bryn was thrown into bear pit, Jamie Lannister practiced uh, uh, or yeah, she got attorney sword down there. Jamie Lannister practicing with attorney sword in his left hand, but an attorney, they're bashing skulls into a bloody mess. Um, I I think that Bobby could have killed people because he's the king and the king can by definition do whatever he wants. But like, you're correct. Um, Medieval jousting and these other tournaments were not designed to kill the nobility and the elite shock troops of their armies. It was designed to be entertaining and to you know, demonstrate your martial skill and prowess, but uh, I think textually you're supposed to understand this wanton killing to be a the realm, all these lords chafing under seven years of peace and unable to distinguish themselves in battle. So, like, there's a lot of rivalries and probably bad blood, and you know uh, that has arisen over time, and two. You have it, a weak king that's distracted. Uh, remember in the first Game of Thrones how you had the Tourney of the Hand and uh, Gregor uh, jousted uh, Sir Loras and lost to him, and then got off, beheaded his own horse, and was going to kill Loras, and the Hound stepped in to stop him, and Bobby stood, you know, Bobby B stood up and said. Stop this madness in the name of the king. And Sandor did that sweet little kneel maneuver to made uh, you know Ryan Gregor man. miss. Sword, yeah. If so, imagine I imagine Viserys probably would have put an end to some of the worst. But you've got the prince kind of starting things out with some dirty play, and it kind of snowballed. And yeah, I mean you could you could see from the. Uh, uh, the Valerians, you know, Corlys and, and his wife, Reynas, that uh, this was something that they thought was distasteful and unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's certainly not. And there's many, many, many tournaments listed throughout uh, the Song of Ice and Fire history throughout Westeros. And mostly people didn't die or if they died, it was by accident. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like just way Sometimes people die in boxing or football. Anytime you got that kind of contact. A splinter could go through an eye uh, 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 slit in a helmet and, and go into someone's brain and or you just get an infection. And but but it wasn't designed to do that. Uh, Norm says, I watched the first episode of House of the Dragons, and enjoyed it, but I'm not sure if I'll continue. We have a few uh, unsure to negative reviews here to, to get to get with my issues. Is I felt like I was dropped into a later season of Game of Thrones, but without any of the connections to the characters established. Yes, I can feel for whomever was giving birth and the king sacrificing her and the daughter's complex emotions, plus the complicated relationship between the king and his brother. Oh, and the build up of the hand of the king seemed to have the best intentions of the kingdom before seeing him pimp out his daughter. I can see that changing my opinion of him. But uh, did the hand of the king's son get killed by the brother of the king during the games? I don't know. There's just so much going on. I'm not being totally lazy by not putting names. of, But other than the king, serious, I couldn't remember anybody's. Could they've started off a little smaller? Going fully into this world again is a lot. Your podcasts are definitely going to help, but I shouldn't have to read up and prep to know all the characters for the show. Can't they have a John or an Ed or a Bob or a Sally? Names that can be remembered
1: more easily. I guess it'll get easier once we have more exposure, right? Hundred percent with you. I hate the names in both of these shows. I think the 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 crossover between names here is super confusing, and they're not conventional names, so they're already hard to remember. Uh, yes, I'm with you on that. I think, look, this is the beginning of the story. You're going to be thrown in to the deep end. Um, it's just uh, it's just the way things go. I know there are a lot of characters in these types of shows, but it, just consider this immersion therapy. You, You will get dunked into this pool, and you'll be going progressively further out into the water, but as you go, the water will get warmer. You know, you'll just kind of pick this stuff up you'll know faces you don't necessarily need to know names uh it'll help for certain conversations i'm sure but you'll get it you know this is it's not like "Ah, i didn't pick up everything on the first episode so i guess i'll never get it no it just it'll take time
0: and you know, you I I think it's easy to forget what it felt like to watch the pilot episode of Game of Thrones, sure. and that was famously like, "Who the fuck are these people?" I mean,
1: when they what? when they say, "Oh, Ned Stark," and then the next scene they say, "Eddard," I'm like, "The fuck? Are these two different? Does he have a brother that I didn't know about? Right. What's happening here?" Right.
0: And I think that this is a part of the re- cultural realism is that Martin is showing uh, a believable mesh of four or five different cultures coming together in one continent mm-hmm. and just like, you know, like it's, uh, if, if you heard, uh, someone call, um, you know, uh, if, if you heard someone named John and then someone else later, you've heard, to, you heard them call him Jack who wouldn't throw you. Right. Cause we understand, you know, like Jim, James can be Jim, could be Jimmy. Uh, sure. there's, there's lots of different variations that we have in our culture. That's, that's, and every culture has that kind of thing. So, um, we don't, you know, as as Americans, especially, you know, we are kind of like a little bit of a monoculture. Um, I, I know there's exceptions of people that have immigrated recently, but mostly you've got your gyms and your Tim's and your Sarah's and your Sally's. Um, but. You know, uh, S Westeros is not like that. It's recently conquered by an entirely different culture. Uh, you know, we're going to talk later on in the Maester's Corner that uh, you've got the Andals, you've got the First Men, you got the Rhoynar. Uh, it's a real melting pot. So that means you're going to have bizarre, to our ears, names, um, and 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 uh, and they're just like a Targaryen would have no problems distinguishing a Rhaenyra from a Rha- uh, Rhaenys. Uh, just like we have no problems disturb, you know distinguishing a Jim from a Jimmy, you know, uh, that's just how they are. And and it seemed like it was a conscious choice because there was an interview where Ryan Condal and uh, Miguel Sapochnik were talking about like, do we really go in with a Rainice and a Rhaenyra, and uh, you know, or are, are we going to change this? Like, you <laughs> no, uh,
1: can't, you can't.
0: George wouldn't liked them. Like that that Bashki uh, Lord of the Rings adaptation where they called Saruman Aroman because they didn't want to confuse it with Sauron. Like, that makes a lot of sense, but also it's heresy. It's heresy. You would have the hardcore fans bitching and moaning constantly. So, like, I think you just bite the bullet and just don't worry about it. You will learn this by osmosis, Mm -hmm. just like you did presumably in season one of Game of Thrones, and it'll, it'll start making sense. But right now, it's fine to talk about, you know the hunky blonde guy versus the dorky blonde guy versus the black blonde guy versus, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's fine to just, just, just refer to people's appearance and whatever, or nicknames uh, you got yeah. for them. So I think it'd be fine. Um, and also like, no, I don't really think they could like, just like, You could make an argument that maybe they should have started the first episode of Game of Thrones entirely on the Starks. Just introduce one family at a time. It's not really how the story goes. There's a lot of things happening all at once. That's one of the things that makes it such an exciting time, you know, Mm -hmm. such a time of upheaval. So I think you'll be fine, Norm. Stick with it.
2: Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible We need to go hang on it is our time kingdom of the planet of the apes now playing only in theaters rated pg-13 some material may be inappropriate for children under 13
1: another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help
0: Uh, points out another thing, a weakness of the show. She identified one thing I felt was missing and I hope they will show that will show up in episodes to come is some humor. This fart's not going to cut it pun intended. I think it's fair to say that one of the things game of Thrones fans love most was Tyrion's epic one liners and witty sparring with other characters who will be the Tyrion of house of the dragon. Even a brawn type character would be welcome. I realize this was a very heavy episode and had a lot to get done. So I understand the lack of humor out of the gate, but I hope some new characters emerge in future episodes to add some levity.
1: You are correct. I don't even see on the horizon a character who could be that. I feel like Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra? see, here's the names. Uh, Mm -hmm. The the young heir to the throne now. Um, Mm -hmm. She could have some element of that to her. Uh, she's very wry in her humor and sort of, uh, you know, flippant with her tone. And I like that about her. Yep. It, it's Tyrion-esque in some ways. But, yeah, we don't have the character who is very obviously going to be that.
0: Yeah, we don't have a real wise ass. We're missing a Bronn. Right. We're missing a Tyrion. Um, and that is one of the, I think, weaknesses in the core material. Hmm. And I don't know how they intend to show it up. If I read between the lines of some of the reviews I've seen, they've seen more than one like, uh, you know, I'm talking like Alan Seppenwalls, It does seem that this is a bit more of a dour, stodgy kind of thing. It's not to say it's devoid of humor, but it might just not have those type of characters uh, as front and center. Um, That's unfortunate. Yeah,
2: but we'll this see. Is a large we'll part see. of my enjoyment of
1: early Game of Thrones.
0: I will say that on multiple rewatches of this episode I found there is a lot of sly humor and you know the one liners the reactions of the small council uh, some of the under the breath stuff that's being said Uh, but it's yeah it's it's certainly not Tyrion confessing to milking the (laughs) one-eyed giant into his sister's clam stew or whatever the fuck it is at the Eerie but Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see we'll see uh, shit! They could just bring mushroom out. Just get, just get, just get much. Get the dwarf out here, telling drunken japes, uh, narrating the whole thing. All uh, right. Yeah. Nina has several questions and comments. First up, Viserys Queen is listed as Ama Aaron on IMDb. Why does she have a Targaryen silver hair if she's Aaron? And is she a Targaryen and an Aaron? Okay, so the whole deal behind this is her mother was a Targaryen princess that was married to the Lord of the Vale, uh, one Roder- Roderick Aaron. Uh, so even though she's got that last name by marriage, she is uh, at least half Targaryen. Uh, and she she acquired the, the silver hair that way. Uh, she continues, I expect the vast majority of us had a healthy sense of ick when Otto Hightower suggested his daughter, Alicent might offer the king comfort in one of her mother's dresses but I caught a sense of Allison's own ambition when she's under the godswood tree with Rhaenyra. She seems upset that Rhaenyra doesn't seem interested in securing her own place within the dynasty. It seems like Alicent could be playing her own game or else is quickly learning through osmosis from her father and other court players, the importance of rising and rank in King's
1: Landing. What do you think of that, Jim? Yeah. Like a Marjorie type. Uh, I can see it. It's important to note that like, I,
0: first of all, I didn't necessarily get that. I felt like it was mm-hmm. definitely a girl being thrust into a position that she's uncomfortable with, but she doesn't want to disappoint her father. And I, I took that stuff in the Godswood more as her anxiety reflected through her father's anxiety about his place. You know, we talked in the main cast about him being a second son and, you know, he doesn't stand to inherit Jack. So he's looking to secure
1: his own line and lineage, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, they're both and it's important talking to talking note- about their father's uh yeah. wishes at that point, yeah, maybe. And it's
0: important to note like uh you know in 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 Game of Thrones universe that young boys as as young as 12, 13, 14 are considered men full grown and are pressed into battle. They're child soldiers. And some of them distinguish themselves at an early age like uh Barristan the Bold, I think, won his first tournament by uh, uh wearing some mismatched armor and entering the lists when he was 10. Uh, and they can attain glory and do well, but it's still fucked up. You know, they're still a child soldier. So, like, mm-hmm. even if you have a person like uh, Allison or Marjorie, uh, you know, being used in this way, and even if they have a uh, end up having a talent for it, if it works, it doesn't make it any less like you know, the, the, they're a product of their times,
1: but also it's like it's a it's a it's a rotten product, right? I mean, here's the thing that impressed me about Allison is that she mm-hmm. goes to Viserys with a history book, and it's very apparent, given what he's doing in that moment, carving a giant ass statue of right. uh, Dragonstone, that he is very interested in history, in right legacy and dynasty and all that. So I think she's pretty smart um, and sharp when it comes to that stuff. So if she does try to make a career in uh, kingly politics here, she might have a good go of it.
0: Yeah it's uh it's like like i said it's it's kind of like bess and the bold being good at jousting at tin it's it's uh it's amazing but also kind of horif- horrific mm. uh, she continues when damon is dressing his gold cloaks he says when i took command of the watch you were stray mongrels starving and undisciplined now you're a pack of hounds sated and honed for the hunt The gold cloaks, howl in response, is this a nod to the Cleganes? Does House Clegane exist at this point? That's a good question. Hmm. It might be like a sly nod to the hounds or to the hound and to the Cleganes. But uh, the founder of House Clegane was a grand, the grandfather of Gregor and Sandor, uh, who served as the Hmm. kennel master of Casterly Rock when he saved uh, uh, Tywin's father, Tytos. Uh, out on excursion uh he he saved them uh from an attack by one of those uh uh westerosi lions you're always hearing about the 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 house sigil ironically of lannister he was able to rescue him although he lost his leg and three of his hounds in the attempt so as a reward he got lands and titles uh Hmm. that was not a long-lived house as far as we know it went extinct when the two brothers killed themselves just three, two generations later, I think if I've done my math, right. We're 173 years before Danny. Uh, the Cleganes would not be a thing. We're yeah. still a generation or two away from, from all that stuff happening. So it's probably just, you know, he's just making a hunting illusion, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Finally, Nina says, I'm fascinated by the Valerians and what they hope to get out of this developing succession situation, especially with Rainus having already been spurned before. I did a quick search on them and it looks like they're the most feared, respected and established seafarers of the time. Does this mean the Greyjoys are currently a lesser house or a minor sea power due to Greyjoys even exist? So just before... Aegon's Conquest, the Riverlands and the Iron Islands were a unified kingdom that was ruled over by the Ironborn, the Iron Islanders, and their king was uh, from a line called the Whores, okay. uh, H-O-A-R-E, uh, and at the time of the conquest, they were um, led by King Harren, who lived in a newly fa- finished gigantic castle, the, the biggest fortification Westeros had ever seen that he called Hall which of course... He was roasted alive in when he refused to bend the knee to Aegon because Aegon just took Balerion there and fucking flamed it until the stones cracked, mm-hmm. which is why it's a, a giant ruin. And kind of even though it's in a very wealthy uh, 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 and fertile land, it's it's seen as kind of a, a cursed, cursed place. Yeah. So, yeah, the Greyjoys uh, were the handpicked successors um, f- uh, to, to run the, the, the Iron Islands by Aegon. And that's kind of when they got their start, although they're 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 a pretty old and of kingly descent of ancient ironborn, too. That's one of the reasons they got the job, you know, but Mm -hmm. uh, the whores lost it and the Greyjoys are in about 100 years ago. Uh, Riri says being one that likes to ask more refined, mature questions, I couldn't help but wonder what would happen if while flying over a dragon, a city has to relieve it. I'm sorry. Oh. While flying over a city a dragon has to relieve itself is I mean, dragon it happen is dragon excrement hot is it like dropping napalm mm. on a city can you use it for fertilizer or are there other added benefits if uh i can only assume that fine pedestrians cautiously eyeing the dragon flying overhead at the beginning of the episode were on the lookout for potential falling the breeze and making a shelter and place plan to avoid the horrors they could potentially be jettisoned from any of the many dragon orifices man this was a tough lore question to run down because <laughs> you tried? okay yeah no I, it, and, it, and it has been asked many many times uh, and people there's so there's a couple things dragons are internally hot. Uh there's descriptions like when Drogon was getting stabbed in the uh the, the fighting pits of Marine that his wounds were like smoking like magma and the spear tips as they got pulled out were like melted. Uh so like the internal temperature of the dragons is extremely high. And there were some theories that a dragon metabolism is so high and their body so furnace-like that they essentially just burn their own waste. Uh, that doesn't seem to make much sense from a biological process, but that was one theory. And then when the rogue prince was printed, uh, there is this passage where one Valerian boy is goofing around in the dragon pit with uh, a a Targaryen cousin. And one of the princes thought that this guy is going to make enough noise or that he's going to get him in trouble. And he shoved them. And the the boy uh, was said to fall backwards into a pile of dragon droppings. Uh, so dragons do shit. There's they, they don't. They they're not inherently caustic or napalm like. If it comes oh. out of a, f- a they don't fresh say what dragon to the boy. No, I mean it's just it's kind of like a joke. You know, he just falls out. into okay. a pile of shit. Um, it doesn't burn okay. him alive or anything like that. But you know, who knows? This this these droppings might have been there for a while. Yeah. Uh,
1: there I was a couple assume. of theories
0: that that's how dragon glass was formed. That's the, the, the fossilized <laughs> shit of dragon corpolites
1: but that has uh-huh. not been proven. Uh, yeah, I want to assume they are a lot like volcanoes that you know, the the shit just comes out hot, comes out fast. Uh you better not be in the way of it or it'll melt you down. And then eventually, you know, it turns into that volcanic stone. Yeah. Uh, of dragon glass. Yeah, I love it.
0: It's really good, it's like pumice. You you can use it to sand mm-hmm. your feet, you know, get rid of calluses. Yep. Hot shit. Uh Moving on to Raphael says, I hate expected to hate this guy, Damon. He definitely has a punchable demeanor. However, although I agree with Kim about someone needing to enforce the rules and attorney, all that stuff I found truly bizarre. I think Damon tripping Otto's son served two purposes. One, of course, was to humiliate Otto. However, I also think he spared the lad. I mean, if Damon is that badass warrior, I imagine he could have seriously hurt Otto's son or possibly have killed him. Choosing Otto's son was just to mess with him, as the king said earlier in the episode. So, so far, a guy expected hate comes across as much more complex.
1: Maybe I saw I saw Damon get beat not once, but twice. Um, yeah. By the same by Kristen. So is he this badass? I don't know if if so. The episode was playing coy with me because I did not take that away from that scene. I think that the other thing is like. I
0: don't think he meant to kill Otto Hightower, son, but no. when you do shit like that, it's definitely something you're flirting with. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And then also like the to the death stuff is like we talked about. It's just not a thing. Like, you know, it's not one, mm-hmm. you know, 40 nights enter one leaves kind of situation. So I, yeah, I, I don't know that I completely go along with this. I think it's just to demonstrate that Damon is a bit of a shit. And this you you also got to think if this is how he fights in a tournament, Mm -hmm. what would he be like in a battlefield? He's going to be the biggest gouger, biter, pocket sand, you know, like he will not fight chivalrously. Like uh, he's the opposite of Jorah Mormont talking about Rhaegar, about him fighting nobly, fighting honorably. And he died, you know, Mm -hmm. like Damon's going to fight dirty. He's going to fight like a bastard and he's going to be he's going to be alive at the end of it. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how that uh, we'll see. We'll see bold strategy, cotton. We'll see how it plays out. Peter C has a couple questions too. He says, game of Thrones had five or six books from which to build a series upon. It also had a whole new universe to introduce viewers to, to my understanding, hot D is based on fire and blood. Does this mean that we can expect the entire show to be much shorter? Say one to two seasons than game of Thrones, because there's a limited story to tell Jim, have you, have you seen any interviews with the showrunners talking about what they're targeting for a series length here? I haven't. Have they come out with that info? Yeah, in, a, in an interview with the uh, Hollywood, uh, the True Hollywood Reporter, or the Hollywood Reporter rather, uh, Connell Sapochnik said they're planning for three to four seasons, with the option to mm-hmm. anthologize. Yeah, yeah. You know, the House of the Dragon. There's 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 300 years of interesting Targaryen history to draw from, and if I imagine if it's successful, why would HBO? Why would anyone want to stop? Maybe you get different showrunners, you probably get new cast and all that, but. And I, I think that's about right. I think the dance, I think three, four, if they want to stretch it to one of those bogus, you know, half seasons and stuff like that. But three seems about right from what I, my understanding of the plot is. But I'll know a lot more based on where we end up, you know, at the end of the season. That's when the the things I'm most curious about is where do we go out? Where is the
1: pause that we hit uh, in, in the, the, the this this tale? Yeah, Second you, question. You can only do so much with adding, you know, color to the scenario, right? Because you have to hit those, right. those pacing beats. And yes. If you're not having the big moments at the end of the seasons, uh, that could feel unsatisfactory. Um, and there are only so many of those in the story. so.
0: You know, before George was a, a book writer, he was a TV series writer. And mm-hmm. I feel like he's got like a script writer's, a screenwriter's eye. And like you see these big set pieces kind of regularly spaced out in the thing. And I I, I can see there's like two or three probable stopping points. It just depends on which one they choose. Yeah. Um, Question the second is watching uh, Hot D was great, especially as a fan of Game of Thrones and a world or a song of ice and fire. As a book reader, I really loved all the world building. And as a show watcher, I love seeing all that come to life on the screen. With Hot D to production value makes it visually appealing and brings a lot of familiarity in George's writing of sex, violence, and political intrigue. Even the characters felt familiar. Damon being a capable and handsome Jaime with a sexual appetite of Tyrion. Rhaenyra being a tomboy turned warrior like Arya. And as great as all this sounds, do you think there will be enough of that's new? Whether it's plot, world building characters that will keep viewers like me hooked? Does this run the danger of feeling too much like Game of Thrones but dressed up as slightly different, uh, i.e., derivative? Perhaps it's too much early hand-wringing, but sequels and spinoffs don't generally have a great track record in the history of television. What do you think, Jim?
1: I feel yeah. Um This this does feel very much like Game of Thrones, and that's part of the reason I like it. I would say that the Game of Thrones appetite was not sati- satiated uh, by the end of Game of Thrones. Like More and more and more people just kept watching this thing. Yeah. Uh, so if it is just like Game of Thrones, except they don't fuck up the ending. I don't know why people would have a problem with that because clearly they wanted more game of Thrones. They just, it was just a, not like this scenario. Yeah. And there's a lots of different ways. Like uh, I,
0: there was a really interesting thread and I think it was game of, of Thrones talk dreaming about, uh, you know, riffing off of what Alan Sepinwall said about kind of the Downton Abbey of it all. They're like, what if you just leaned into that? And you went back to the old King around a, a, a time of peace and stability, but there were still crises and crazy things happening. But it was this a more genteel pace? Like what if you did like a, just a no shit down Abbey King's landing edition. And sure. it's just kind of like this soapy Royal small folk kind of inter. I, I think that, I mean, that would be a completely radically different way to look at game of Thrones, but it'd be a fun one. Uh, because if they keep leaning into, like, the Blackfire Rebellions and the Duncan Egg stuff and Robert's Rebellion, it's just, it's all goes back to succession and ambition mm-hmm. and overweening pride and hubris and, but is that, like, goddamn, that's a theme of a lot of different works, man. Uh, so it all comes down to can they do you, are you going to care about the characters is the world going to feel believable because this is a universe as vast as star wars or star trek that has you know spawns you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of television and movies and books and i don't see why this couldn't so mm-hmm. but on the other hand if, if it's done ineptly or in too dry a manner and they don't sweat the characters then we might get sick of this after one season we'll just have to see Kim says, I'm so glad to have you guys back covering Westeros. It feels good to be back. We saw Otto Hightower sending a Raven to old town. Have you any theories of what that message said and who is it for? It seems like small scenes like this have often future plot implications. If they make a point of showing it, it must be relevant. You know, I'm reminded of all the scenes of Tywin Lannister sending Ravens leading up to the red wedding. Uh, what do you, cause I, I gotta say that like, I don't think I, I did a fair amount of like polling, uh, what everybody's thinking on the internet. And I don't, there's not like one super banger theory of what this could be. And I think it's supposed
1: yeah. to be mysterious. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anytime you show us somebody sending a raven and don't show us the message, it's going to be mysterious inherently. Yeah. Uh, Game, of, Game of Thrones taught me that, uh, I, I, I wonder if there's some kind of backup plan. Like if the air, the male heir doesn't come about, he's got some plan to enact. And I know he's sending this home, but I don't, I don't know who's there, right? Like you said in the, the full recap podcast, Mm -hmm. his, his, the Lords are all here. His son is here.
0: Everyone who's anyone is here at King's Landing to participate in this tournament.
1: So if he were sending it back, it, it necessarily be to, Someone who wouldn't be involved in the tournament, so it could be, like, a maester or, or s- someone of other import in a different arena who's not, like, going to go to battle. Um, it could be his family. It, but, but to what end there, I have no idea. Um, yeah, th- this feels like the contingency plan if the king mm-hmm. doesn't have a new heir
0: yeah i mean if he's thinking of the good of the realm he's probably thinking i got a king with no heir. if this rhaenyra thing doesn't work out you know Viserys is not super old can we get him you know is there who, who are the other most eligible ladies of the land you know if he doesn't go for Alicent, is there like i don't know exactly how many angles he's calculating mm-hmm. um there's also the thing that i think is tantalizing is there's been this long-held kind of theory rumor that the maesters had more than a little to do with the downfall of the Targaryens, especially with their dragons. Now don't get me wrong. Targaryens did a bang up job, killing their own damn dragons as Mm -hmm. we will see in this episode, these, these episodes to come. But like, there is a point where, all the dragons started being sickly and shriveled and deformed and then stopped hatching and getting older and less and more infirm. And there's been a long, like there's, there's been a long stated theory that the maesters had something to do with like, we don't like these untidy magical beings fucking up with our rational world. We don't like the imbalance. We don't like what it does to the realm. We're going to just kind of manage this whole thing. Um, So unmaesterly. Yeah, it's kind of a direct violation of yeah. their, but like, you know, what, how do the maesters see themselves deep down? Do they really see themselves sure. as meek kind of stewards that hold or do they really see themselves as more of the people who are uh, in front of the chalkboard, you know, drawing their equations and move? I I don't know. And again, I can't, you know, I, I, I don't really think they're going to go into all that, but that's the one that would be like if they're starting to. D- do this like long term generational conspiracy against the ro- royal house. It would be interesting if, if uh, that that were to, to play in. But we'll see, because mm-hmm. like I said, that's not something that's like right there in the text. It's something that's kind of hinted about. Uh, Sheena says, hey, guys, I, too, is curious about why Hot D didn't have a proper opening credit sequence in the episode like Game of Thrones did, since that was kind of a staple of the original show. But I remembered that you guys would sometimes mention in the podcast that just changing one thing on the Game of Thrones credits would cost a ton of money, sometimes to the detriment of other aspects of the episode. So maybe this is why Hot D has decided to forego an elaborate opening credit sequence. Your thoughts? I think we are worried over nothing because apparently there's uh uh Condola said in interviews that, no, this is just like we just want to get right to the story. And we thought okay. that would be like there is no point where we could cut away to that and it wouldn't feel indulgent. So there will be an intro. We will get to see it this week. We just didn't have one. And uh, I, I also would love, I love to go through because like. I reported uncritically a lot of what I consider bullshit now about, well, we can't have dire wolves because it's so expensive to see. I think Mm. that's a lot of this stuff was just bullshit that they said just because they wanted to dodge criticism because how fucking
1: hard is it to change that intro sequence? You know, if you sure it's it's not on the order of creating a dragon on screen, certainly.
0: Sure. Like you gotta you gotta loop a few more dun dun, dun 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 and you gotta pay someone to animate a clockwork thing and like is that equal to three seconds of direwolf footage? I don't know. I don't know. So we're we're gonna get an
1: intro and we should get it this week, according to all accounts. Also I would say of course it would be indulgent. Of course it would be. Intros are indulgent, especially the Game of Thrones intro was incredibly indulgent, changing it every yeah. week as as the scenario. Uh, as the locations change is incredibly indulgent, but that's part of what made the world feel cool. Uh, Here's another thing. Um, What was so vital about the credit
0: sequence in the early goings of Game of Thrones is because you would not know where the fuck you were.
1: True. Yeah.
0: Like it's like, Oh, there's the wall and the house. Here's how it relates to Winterfell. And here's how it relates to the Vale, And here's how it relates to and Oh, we're going over this narrow sea. We're across a whole another continent. Oh, here's where Cal Drogo and Danny's hanging out. We were just in King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Now, at the end of this episode, Damon's going to the veil. Vale. Presumably, we're going to get see some of this crab feeder guy and the stepstones off Adorn. Of there might be need for like, hey, we're going to go to this location and this location. We're going to deal with the Triarchy. That's what is that Tyrosh and Mir and Lees. I think uh, we might see some of these locations, and it might be more necessary the next episode too. But again, that's all speculation. I, I don't know that we'll actually go to those places. I'm just saying that like, it seems likely that we had everyone together and now there's evidence that we're going to expand the scope of the story and it might be more necessary. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Chris says, Hey guys, for my first question this season, I'm going to throw it out there. Why isn't there a push for King Viserys to take a bride of child, childbearing age? He's certainly not the oldest ruler that we've seen take a young bride in a series. Is it simply a shortage of Targaryen noblewomen in Westeros? And second, Less importantly, was I the only one who noticed Queen Amma had erotic tapestries hanging in her birthing chamber? Uh, oh, I I certainly didn't notice. I didn't notice either. Something that Dave and Chin were... Uh, Dave and Chin? Dave and Kim <laughs> uh-huh. were talking about on a cast of Kings that... Uh, Kim noticed it, and she asked that uh, she had an interview with Millie Alcock. And I guess the two girls, or I guess they're women, they're like in their twenties, even though they're fourteen on the show. Mm-hmm. They said, "Yeah, no, there was a lot of erotic uh, tapestries, and some that I didn't make on can't uh, feature dra- humans having sex with
1: dragons, nope. dragons having sex <laughs> okay. with humans. Those, those fucking Targaryens, man. <laughs>
0: which which ties in. There's some Targaryen theories that say that the way we got Valerians were." you know, essentially they're the children of dragons or depending on how much hubris the the Targaryen has, it might be the other way around. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Valerian's fucked around and, and made dragon children. So there is that idea and, and I'm I, yeah, I wanna keep my eyes peeled for more erotic dragon fucking but uh no, and I, I think there, there, there will. I mean, I think there. That's the if, if the realm won't take Rhaenyra, the natural thing to do is to get this king who's still, you know, you get father children into your your old age if you're a man, uh, to get him, get him uh, hooked up with some young fertile Targaryen princess and have him kick out a few heirs. Yeah, that'd be a one one way to hit the eject button on Daemon too. So
1: yeah, we'll sense. see how
0: that plays. And and. And Otto, not to put too fine a point in it, is, I think, already throwing his hat into, I guess, Allison's hat into that ring.
1: Yeah, I would think, though, if it was on Viserys' mind, he would not necessarily have decided to name Rhaenyra his his heir. That, that I, felt like a very hasty decision, didn't it? it? Yeah, <laughs> although, I mean, somebody needs to be heir. I, I'm with the council on this. Like, we can't have an heirless king. Uh, or have yeah. it unsettled because then there's the potential for war. If you die, if something happens to you, Yeah, but yeah, yeah you can kind of leave the state of the air as is. And then in the background, be like, okay, I need to find a new wife. I need to make a new heir, And this will all sort itself out eventually. As long as I live. I don't
0: think it'd be, it'd be a problem. Cause like, again, the you're supposed to understand that like, you know, we see the private side of him, but from the realms perspective, he's a very popular, very powerful, very wealthy, Targaryen, sure. and there would be tons of families that would throw any number of daughters at him mm-hmm. so it uh it's definitely a thing that that they, they might explore um misty has a couple of observations did you notice a childbirth scene cutting back to the joust tourney there was a really good aerial shot of the joust arena and it's clearly in the shape of a vulva or female genitalia.
1: <laughs> okay yeah
0: uh symbolizing the birthing is our battleground comment from Ama very mm-hmm. well done or very clever symbolism very well done. I didn't put that two and two together, right, but yeah, yeah, it definitely a has a a certain parenthetical shape yeah. yeah yeah if they if they had the king's box at the very top of one end of it, you know in a slightly <laughs> that yeah yeah, uh-huh. also so, it's a map of the uh, for the men of the realm to follow if they want to but mm-hmm. uh. No, I I didn't catch that, but that's that's a good point. I got to think it's intentional because they were definitely making that direct, you know, contrast comparison. Uh, Moving on to Yannick from Denmark says, I'm curious about what you think of Otto Hightower. We see him in the show presented as this composed, intelligent hand of the king, but are his motives sinister besides wanting to send Damon away from court? Otto is clearing that he wants Rhaenyra to be the new heir rather than Raynus uh, Valerian. In a creepy moment, he tells his daughter Alicent uh, to go to the King's chambers, the implied purpose of which is to sleep with him. But when she shows up, she's char- carrying a huge history book. I know how important the histories are to you, she says, and we-, we never hear which history she reads to him at this vulnerable time. Otto then uses Viserys grief to get his way by telling Viserys about how Damon toasted the heir for a day in the whorehouse. Again, crucially, as Aaron pointed out, we never hear what's actually said. Also, Damon never confirms it when uh, confronted by Viserys in the throne room. He says something like, we all grieve in our different ways. In the next scene, Viserys takes Rhaenyra to the Dragon Skull room and tells her she is to be his heir. Specifically, he refers to the histories when explaining it all to her. A reading of this is the High Tower orchestrated this through cunning and his knowledge of uh, the king. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I mean, that makes manip- a lot of
1: sense. I I, I don't know if Otto told I, I never saw Otto tell her to get this book I simply saw him tell her to go to him wearing the dress which she does uh-huh. so I assume that this was um, Allison herself no know, knowing understanding the king Um, and, and I agree if she is trying like explicitly to get with him I would say she's playing a little bit of a, a, a slow play here which yeah is probably smart given the circumstances.
0: To me, it felt to me like she was following the letter of her father's instructions without Mm -hmm. the spirit. Like she was literally there staying as far away from Viserys, like trying to engage on a comfort, like a human comfort level. I'm sorry
1: this happened to you. Here's your favorite thing. Let me read it to you. Um, Yeah, I don't think she's particularly excited about being sent to bang this king. No, her best friend's dad. That's yeah. pretty cringe, man. It's weird. Uh, it is strange though that she would take the big book of Targaryens having sex with dragons to read to him. That was a little. Uh, uh, that was a choice for sure. The 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 selected erotic
0: tapestries of <laughs> uh-huh. uh, of uh, the Red Keep. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He's playing all the angles, Gary V. Says to clear up some confusion about the family tree, in both the season preview podcast and your instant take, you misidentified the relationship between the old King Jaheris and his eventual heir Visiris. Preview podcast you identified Visiris as well as Raynus as children of the old king in an episode one podcast as his nephew. Visiris is in fact the grandson of King Jaheris by way of Jaharis' second dead son. The Rainus hell? is the more direct descendant or granddaughter of Jaharis by way of Jaharis' first also dead son making Rainus and serious first cousins. Yeah. Oh. I I fucked that up. I, I have a too. hard time keeping track of the succession. Um but you're you're right Ren Ren Rainus Ren- 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 as we like to call her was passed over effectively twice. Um when the first king son, king's son and heir dies, the law of is a primogenitor is where it's like you'd think that like well then the king's second uh, son would go, sure. but actually you go all the way down that first son's line. If he has an heir, then it's not the king's brother that it's the heir. It's it's you know this is Lion King shit. Yeah, you know, Simba sure. wrecked Scar's potential to be king, right? Um, yeah. and Rainier, uh, uh Rhaenys was right there. Uh, she was the eldest heir to that first son's, uh, you know, claim, and she was passed over, and then at the great council she was passed over again. So she was actually the queen that almost she was the queen that never was twice. Uh, and and you're right, I'll I'll try to keep that in mind uh, going going forward, because guys, guys, God knows, God knows that uh, Germ gets really pissy when you skip a Targaryen uh, yeah. succession. Uh, Matthew says, is Viserys wife also his sister? They never make a point to mention it, but all the silver hair tends, uh, to lead me to believe that. I just want to confirm. I'm assuming that all silver haired people are related. Uh, you're not wrong by saying they're related eventually in some way, Mm -hmm. but, uh, Queen Emma's mother was the princess Dala Targaryen, who, as I mentioned before, married Lord Roderick Aaron of the Vale. So she is the that the Daela was the daughter of Jaehaerys which I think. And I'm always shaking. That's so. If you're that, that makes you cousins, right? That's a definition of cousins. Your, unc- your you uncle, your uncle or your aunt's children are your cousins, uh-huh. and you're all grandkids of the grand. Yeah, I think they're. I think I think they're cousins. Okay. so not as close as your average dragarian relationship, but (laughs) too close for a lot of our comfort, I think. Yeah. Kim has a a few questions for us. Um, We got a lot of we got a lot of perspectives on this. This is about the decision that Viserys makes with this queen. She wonders, is there ever a scenario on the table in which Ama made it out of that whole situation alive? When the maester tells Varys he has no choice or he has a choice to make to save one or lose both, I didn't think that implied Viserys had a choice on who he could save. The baby was breached and can't be repositioned, pushing is futile, and it's pretty much game over for baby and mother, both in that world, short of some miracle. I think the only one who had a chance to make it through this alive was the baby, which I thought was implied by the maester's comments on the procedure. Like you, I also had the hot take that Viserys was a selfish monster for making the decision he did. Once my emotions and uterus unclinched after that scene, uh, logic did kick in. Viserys had no choice but to do what he did. If Ama was going to die either way, but there was a chance a son could be born to secure the succession and stabilize the realm, as King, uh, whose utmost responsibility is to said realm, Viserys had to do what he did. It was terrible, and utterly horrific choice to make. And as he's also a human who I think truly loved his wife, I believe the experience, the trauma of that experience is going to take its toll on his mental state, especially since it was ultimately all for not. Um, I talked with this uh, with a guy named Christopher on Twitter. Uh, I got some uh, emails from doctors that had different opinions on it. So the exact dialogue, the maester says mm-hmm. during a difficult birth, it sometimes becomes impossible Or becomes necessary for a father to make an impossible choice. To sacrifice one or lose them both. There's a chance we can save the child. Uh, The technique is taught at the Citadel, which involves cutting directly into the womb to free the infant, but the resulting blood loss. Dot, dot, dot.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I, and I feel like many others interpreted to sacrifice one as being a binary choice you can choose to save the mother or you can choose to save the child or you can not make a choice in a trolley problem kind of way and lose them both that is apparently how I
1: interpreted it so interpreted qu- as we can save this child and kill your wife or we can leave it up to the gods is what he says about whether or not either of them will survive if we do nothing So I think that's a reasonable and probably correct interpretation.
0: But the fact that so many people got that confused um, and I, so so there's, there's two things and you always got to think about this in terms of fantasy. It's like, what is the analog here? So like if if we're talking about a medieval cesarean section, that's a low percentage play for the
1: for the mother. A hundred percent. Yeah.
0: I will not say that at no point, a woman didn't survive that, but like just with the infection alone, it's gotta be pretty fucking low. Yeah, but the way they the way I honestly believe that there was like, I don't know what kind of medieval and it's other thing is like, so fantasy. Game of Thrones has things that real life medieval times did not have. Uh, they have a very effective, safe, abortificant, uh moon's tea where a woman can drink that and she just doesn't have to worry about having a child. Uh, that's not I don't think that has any kind of historical analog in, in the real world uh, also, back in prob- the medieval
1: times. Probably not going to work at this point. Probably not the yeah, solution. It's to too this late.
0: Problem. It's too late. But like I was <laughs> yeah. thinking, like, you know, what do can the Maesters do? Can they do some kind of like primitive dilation and extraction type of proceeds? Like, which would be gruesome. They would be essentially hacking apart this baby who's crowning mm-hmm. uh, or breaching. Uh, but I'm like, I don't I don't know that it's not possible that you could do that. And like I said, it was presented as a choice. Cause like I I'm I'm kind of with um Kim here. Is like, how was this phrased as an impossible choice? If it's like you are going to lose both of them, but if you mm-hmm. take action now, you can save the child.
1: Right. I think it's that's still not pretty. A f- at all, really? Not
0: no. I, I. It's it's much more of like he's being forced to do something that's terrible. Uh, yeah. I also think it is pretty reprehensible how they they treat the Ama of this this whole question. Oh, but like. Yeah. I, I thought it was like a truly a choice. He could choose to save his wife or he could choose to save the baby. Apparently that wasn't as intended. And this is it reminds me of the situation where uh, fucking Alex Graves uh, directed an episode where Jamie Lannister c- clearly raped a sister. But then in all the after material is like, oh, it's, a, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a really tricky consensual matter. Well, it was not the book, but you shot a rape, dude. Right. I sometimes wonder if like the the intended messaging got 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 lost it's because it certainly was confusing, I
1: think, to people the way it was phrased. Oh, yeah, I had I feel like I took a third path here, which was you can make a choice to save the child or maybe they'll both live if we do nothing like leave it up to the gods. To me, is yeah. not a statement that says, oh, they're both going to die. It's more true. Like, we just won't be able to really affect the outcome. And but it's also it's not could be, good, but maybe they'll survive. We don't know.
0: It also could be like leave it up to God's, it's like it'll take a miracle to save the child. This is, is another way you could say it, but yeah. um, so yeah, it just caused a lot of in and, and uh, I think you know, there's room to say that what happened to Ama was terrible, and there's room to say that Viserys was kind of forced into it. Um, and there mm-hmm. was, but I it's just, it's just weird phrasing it like a choice when it's like that's like a trolley problem. It's like, if you throw one switch, one person uh, dies and one person lives. And if you don't throw the switch, both of them die. Well, right. that's not a, and, and also you don't get to choose who dies. It's like, there's definitely one going to live, one going to die, or they both die. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's not really an ethical or moral dilemma in the strictest right. sense of the word. It's, it's It sucks, and it's going to be painful, and I imagine there's tons of survivor's guilt and all kinds of things going on there, but I don't know. It's too bad, because like I said, it's it's a pivotal scene, and I feel like it's just a little bit narratively clumsy, but then I'm sure there's a lot of exasperated, you know, we had a lot of doctor, uh, at least one doctor wrote in, and it's like there was zero chance of her successfully delivering a, bir- a breached birth, and there was no way to get that baby out without killing it. so it's like that doesn't seem like a gotcha. choice. Yeah. Moving on to Jack. This was a question that came up in the uh, the instant talk portion, I believe. In episode one, when Viserys says "This family already has its Vicinia, he's referring to Daemon. I mentioned it was mm. Rhaenys uh, because I thought, you know, she was kind of the warrior woman, uh, you know, maybe chafing that she didn't get the, the, the leadership role of the kingdom. Um but he says the problem was that the Amos actress says the line incorrectly, at least according to Jack. She's supposed to say, where is your brother, Damon? As in, speaking of your brother, Damon, where the hell is he? When she actually said it, where's your brother, Damon? Like, it's just a question, like a separate line of di- dialogue. Uh, but you're supposed to see them as connected. Like, oh, we've huh. already got her, Vicinia. Okay. Oh, speak. Oh, where, where is your brother? Speaking of him. And it just got lost in the line reading. Gotcha. But. As Jack himself points out, it seems wild that they didn't catch that on set, you know, between the actor, the director, the editor, everybody there, like, script Mm -hmm. supervisor, nobody got, like, you're supposed to put, you put the emphasis on the wrong salalaba there, Ama, you need to, you need to redo that, but...
1: try to make it super easy to support making podcasts at Bald Move. Just join the club. But some people aren't a joining type, or maybe they're
0: already in the club but want to add a little bit of gratuity for an especially great season of coverage,
1: or for a podcast that really spoke to them, or gave them that bit of support in a tough time. For these, and for whatever other reason you might have, our tip jar is always open. Head over to support.baldmove.com and click the donate option to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. Once again, check out support.baldmove.com for all the great ways to help me and Jim keep
0: making the podcast you love. That seems, that seems uh, likely, and Austin wrote in concurring, saying, While Rhaenys and Rhaenyra are both strong warrior-minded women, I think Viserys considers Daemon to Visenya because of the touch of madness he has often seen in Targaryens. Visenya was the mother of Maegor the Cruel and had no small part in him earning that title, if I'm remembering correctly. Daemon also wields Dark Sister, Visenya's Blade, which is,
1: I think, the thing that really... Mm. Really kind of, like, caps it off there. So, and there was just a demonstration well of, of how warlike he can be right with the city watch yeah so yeah exactly yeah, it's fresh in his mind
0: um Al wonders one quick thought I had upon rewatch of episode one is Viserys actually fireproof to a degree that Danny was I only asked because when the maesters are inspecting his back wound one recommends cauterizing it <laughs> well I thought if Viserys knew he was fireproof he'd reboof the, reboof he'd reboof uh, the reboosed. idea yeah instead he seems almost annoyed with the process i um, will have to use wildfire to get it done but yeah, this, this is something I had to say like once a season on the old spoiler <laughs> podcast, but uh, like it's wild because from George's perspective, the Targaryens being fireproof was not a thing. He was, intended that to be a one time magical intervention in Danny's life. The double D s then continually leaned into it, like Danny likes her her bath hot, Danny can pick a dragon egg that's been on a brazier and and suffer no harm. Danny can literally walk out of a burning and fucking inferno uh, and be the sole mm-hmm. survivor, and it seems we talked about how much more involved Gurm is in all this that he has given his blessing to at least flirt with this fucking theory again,
1: yeah, because of the candle scene, right? yes,
0: yeah. But if Targaryens can't get burnt, how do you cauterize your fucking wounds? You know, do you use dragon fire? Sure. You get, you yeah, get Vagar Tarkaris out there. <laughs> you put Valerian steel all over his back, except for uh-huh. one small point you know, where you stick the boil through there and... and you just, you nah, just put I don't know. a little
1: dragon shit on top of it. There you go. Right yeah. You get
0: a dragon shit poultice, you mix it up, you throw it on... Yeah, you get that fresh <laughs> and hot, you throw it on there. Yep. I... I I this is the thing I, this was this is really puzzling because I felt like George was annoyed by this shit and this is more his baby and this but but I the the only thing I would say is that yeah you got the cauterization inconsistency and also
1: you can hold your hand over a candle he wasn't like it's just a it's just an it's, unforced error if they're not trying to say hey he's a little fireproof it's an unforced error with you it. could you could have him messing with a blade. You could have him doing any number of things that show how distraught he is and ha- and like what's going through his head without it relating to fire or heat.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a clear, like I said, flirtation. It's not confirmation, but they're definitely leaning in that direction. So, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Maybe Targaryen's being a true, true Targaryen's not all Targaryen's a true Targaryen, <laughs> uh-huh. true blood of the dragon being fire, uh, fireproof might be a thing. Um, Marisa says while different in ways both obvious and subtle Westeros is still modeled in medieval Europe at several points I feel like you overestimate the agency allowed to women in Westeros whose positions didn't seem to be all that different from the relevant historical period Courtly manners generally don't allow, for example, a lady to refuse the request to carry her favor from a challenger, specifically in the case of Allison Damon. Allison's a good mannered, unmarried young lady whose job in a family is to make a good impression so she'll be useful on the marriage market. That means not being, say, openly disagreeable, disagreeable telling a man no or of questionable judgment, telling a prince of the royal bloodline no. Cersei, Danny, and Sansa were all atypical women who ruled in their own right, but as shown by the hesitation to name a female heir over two successive generations or Targaryens, we can likely still presume that women are largely considered pawns in the game, which doesn't allow stepping out of line.
1: This is true, but they do it time and time again in these shows. Yeah, so by the, don't know the notable exceptions the that you
0: just, he just <laughs> right, mentioned.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel you, yes. There, there's a lot of, like, obviously patriarchy stuff tied up in this and they play with those concepts and I don't know where to draw the lines because they play with them. So often.
0: well, that's the other thing is like it's, I think it's useful to say like, okay, well this is uh analog of the war of the roses or this is a story of the Henry uh-huh. the, the first or, and and okay, this is probably medieval Europe and this is probably medieval, but like it's also fantasy and we are modern audiences, and I think it's fair to critique of like, well, where does the fantasy stop and begin and end? You know, sure. if you're doing dragons, why not have a couple of black folk be Targaryens? If you're doing that, why not have a couple of women having atypical positions of power, like Cersei, like Danny, like Sansa, like Arya? You know, um, and since Game of Thrones tends to zig in that way, I think it's entire. It's pretty fair to to to, to, to you know ask like where where does the where does the fantasy uh end you know where what is realistic what's not realistic especially when a lot of lay people will talk confidently about what medieval europe was like and not like and you talk to a real historian they're like well no that's crazy that's actually super ahistorical the attitude you're talking about because our conception and i would say are i'm talking about americans i'm not sure if you are or not but like it's stuff we've seen in movies and read in books more mm-hmm. than a studious historical study of the the records and the cultures and religions of the time right
1: so or or at best it's more complicated than that you know yes yes that was a general yeah. rule but it's always more complicated
0: Let's move on to Caleb T. He says, correct if I'm wrong, but is the fact that humans meddling with dragons was the cause of the Doom of Valeria new information? I've not heard this theory before as mentioned in Hot D Episode 1 and was kind of shocked that such a mysterious event was mentioned in a one-off line. I hope we get more info about the Doom in the future. Jim, you might not know it, but this is about to kick off the first Maester's Corner. Of course,
2: no Maester's capable of rendering an opinion free of conditions,
0: are they now? so joining me in this first maester's corner is uh, maester anthony himself who's been uh keeping the iron throne warm during the long off season between game indeed of Thrones. it got got a few cuts he did just a few is, it, yeah. is any is any
2: is any festering are you gonna have to get cauterized <laughs> yeah it's possible it's possible <laughs> not, not a great not a great king <laughs> uh well i mean you're a
0: terrible king you're a maester what are you doing you don't can't hold lands and titles that's yeah, you should, you should, should be should
2: be, never sat down
0: that's the whole you, sure. you, you pull the jamie lannister and then see what happened uh but yeah he's been doing the Bookaloo, which is a chapter by chapter breakdown of game of thrones Coincidentally, what what a what what a what a wild coincidence that you kind of yeah. r- uh, ran out of material right as House of the Dragon uh, was. Yeah, was... we just
2: finished book one. Uh, I think that dropped this morning. Yeah, uh, as we're recording. And
0: uh, you're also, while we have uh, retaken the uh, House of the Dragon feed by force, you also have a double dragon feed where you and uh, Steve, your co-host, are going to be yeah. talking about House of the Dragon and stuff. So this is kind of like um, miniature deep lore dives. Um, I'm not sure if we'll have one for every or, uh, week or we might take a tricky piece of lore feedback uh, from time to time. But we've both prepared... Uh, a little mm-hmm. a, a little lecture, a little maester symposium for each other, and mm-hmm. Anthony, uh, and it's all relevant to the episode, and it's all non-spoiler. So these should just enhance your enjoyment of the series. It should not spoil anything.
2: Right. Um, what do you got for us? Well, what, what, what chain, before, what link did you forge yeah. in the chain today? I think before I do my thing, I, I think I ought to say that... I, I, first and foremost, I'm a fan, and I'm not just an Ice and Fire fan, I'm a Bald Move fan, and I, I just have to say, it's nice to have you back. It's really nice to have you back. That is super uh, sweet, and it's, yeah. it's, it's obviously good to be back, too. I kind of feel like, as the fandom, we view Martin as our our mother. You know, he he birthed he birthed the stories, right? Uh huh. And then for about nine and a half seasons, you know, Aaron was our mother, and he he you know he kind of nurtured us and he grew us up, and uh, you know we, we were sort of, you know, we were just about teenagers, not quite teenagers when uh, aaron decided he was gonna kick off <laughs> <laughs> and he was out on the show and it was gonna be a hate wash at the end of season eight and i just want to say it's just so nice to have our mother back it's it's just so it's it's comforting
0: well don't don't get it twisted i've not forgot how to put on the lord's face so if i if i have to bear steel on my lap uh for this show i will but so far so far uh all right I'm, I'm incredibly
2: pleased with what we've got but thank you that's, all right that's, well, that's well i'll write it as, long as I, <laughs> yeah i'll write it as long as it's there to be written so <laughs> Um, Alright, I want to talk about the Doom of Valyria here. I I just thought it was fascinating that Viserys, in his little preamble to Rhaenyra, uh said that dragon magic is something that they should have never messed with, and it's one that caused the Doom of Old Valyria. And I thought, it's kind of trippy that you've got this dragon lord, like the dragon lord. He's the king of the realm, right? Who once flew the biggest and baddest dragon. Mm -hmm. This guy is a little dragon dubious. And I thought, this is really interesting. He's a dragon truther. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And he's, I think he's, he's putting a bit of confidence To the definitive sort of the definitive truth on what caused the doom, which we'd never gotten before, you know, the doom was always kind of like, eh, well, no one really knows what. I mean, it was it was fourteen volcanoes, but we don't know what caused these volcanoes. And he basically blames the dragons, right? So to me, that was fascinating. All right, so I thought I'd do a little dig into World of Ice and Fire and see what I could come up with. And I think what I came up with will help us kind of enhance our enjoyment of this first episode a bit. All right. Okay. So the people of Old Valyria claimed that the dragons were children of the volcanoes. That that was that was their view. The the dragons are volcano spawn. Okay. And it's sort of like, it sounds a little hocus pocus. It sounds a little bit like, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the, maybe the maesters of old town would be like, "Mm, they're kind of animals. They probably come (laughs) from other animals. Yeah. They're, they are not mineral nor vegetable. These are animal for sure. (laughs) Right. Right. But the people of old Valeria believed this to be true. And you know, that they string, that they sprang forth from the 14 flames Okay, so I think that this... Kind of explains Viserys's belief about the doom. You know, this episode is all about hammering home the point that nothing can take down the ruling family except for the ruling family, right? It's all about internal conflict. We're, right. we're told that we're bookended that at the beginning of the episode, and we're given that I think here at the end here too. Okay, so that's the context for Viserys. What Viserys says about the, the doom and the danger of dragons and magic and all that business. So let's take the Valerians at their word, right? So let's say that the dragons are indeed volcano spawn. Okay. So according to a world of ice and fire, the doom of Valeria was all 14 volcanoes erupting at once. And Because of this, we're given this little detail that the debris that came out of those 14 flames consumed many of the dragons above. Okay, if that's true, what do we have? In essence, we have dragon magic destroying dragon magic. Mm. Which I think is what is sort of motivating Viserys here he believes that dragons come from the mountains and the mountains destroyed the dragons. So they it, basically we have magic of the, the mountains destroying other magic of the mountains. And this is exactly what Becerys is trying to warn his daughter about. Dragons killing dragons or dragon magic killing dragons, right? So, all right. So I think what in order to understand this correctly, we need to view Viserys as something of an unreliable narrator. You know, he he's one voice in a chorus of voices and he he's talking like he's an authority, right? Sure. Um, but he is still just one guy, right? And we know from all of these writings that, some, that everyone in their own way is, a, is an unreliable narrator. So from a storytelling point of view, the important thing is not whether the legend is true. It's how the legend is motivating these key characters. So the Cirrus, it seems... excuse me Viserys seems to be motivated by this myth and he's bought into the lore so much so that he's convinced that dragon magic is flawed and fatal from the start in other words, because of his interpretation of the doom, he's sort of dragon dubious, and I think that the I think that the show is trying to tell us that because of this, he's a little bit of a weak king, right? Mm. And and so I thought that that helped me understand some of what his motivations are. In the show, and why he's cautioning his daughter about this sort of internal fatal. Flaw of trying to sort of buy into the dragon illusion. It's interesting because like, you know, a lot of times
0: Martin uses dragons as kind of like a stand in for nuclear weapons, you know, like the, and uh, it would be similar to uh, one of the nuclear powers just decide, you know, we should have never invented these things. We shouldn't use them and dismantle unilaterally disarming which would put one in the real world at a, at a, at a risk of, you know, nuclear annihilation because it's it's a deterrent too. So are you arguing that uh, you know his 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 dubious his dragon dubiosity is going to make him
2: reluctant to take the the moves that he might need to stave yeah, off maybe of rebellion so. or uh he sounds a little bit... Viser sounds a little bit about like Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer after. i yeah, become dragon destroyer of worlds. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I think it's a little bit like if an, the inventor of the nuclear bomb decided, okay, we've invented this and now this magic is in the world. And then... But we've also decided never to use it. So now it's like... It's sort of this dark magic released on the world. And now that the person... I guess you could say that the person who wields it is too weak to use it, and I think that from one point of view you could say, well, that's kind of a noble decision you made too late," mm. right? Right. And I think from another you know another point of view you could just say, "Well, that's just foolish," right? So. Anyway, that's what I got. That's what I got. And I think that that helps us understand a little bit of his motives. Yeah, it would be interesting to see how uh, this all works
0: out uh, during the season. I appreciate the Doom of Valeria. I also um, had a f- topic that's focused more on Essos and the things going on over there. And it's the topic of Nymeria you know oh, right. we have heard of Namiria in the show before uh, most famously it was the name of Arya's direwolf and it was kind of a personal hero of hers and we see it seems like it's a baby personal hero of Rhaenyra and pr- yeah. probably the, the patron saint of all little girls in Westeros that dream of doing more than birthing children to swing a sword and to attain glory and to command men and armies. Uh, Nymeria. Yeah, yeah. Nymeria is kind of where it's at. She's uh, quite literally a warrior princess in the mold of Xenia or perhaps uh, Bodica. Is that how you pronounce that? The first century Celtic woman who resisted the Romans uh kind of captured the
2: uh, imagination of, of the, yeah i don't think i've ever heard that uh, ta- uh i don't think i've ever tried to say it out loud before so I yeah i, we'll I just did some
0: it. i did some i was hoping you will you but yeah I, I did some i think it's bodica but it could i could okay. be wrong i don't have a celtic tongue uh <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> So according to the maesters who have studied these things, she wasn't a warrior in the truest sense of the word, but she did lead her people. Uh, She's at very least a battlefield commander that issued orders and strategy and uh, was the unquestioned ruler of a city. Um, And she lived like the rest of her people, the Roinar. Along the banks of the mighty Royne River in Essos, so just to get your bearings, you know the Royne originated just south of Bravos and flowed south until its mouth disgorged into the Summer Sea near Volantis. So if you imagine the continent of Essos as the European continent, just to kind of get your bearings straight, the Royne would have flowed essentially on the border of Portugal and Spain. You know, yeah. One of the oldest
2: cultures of Essos, right?
0: Yeah, and and they uh, the the, the um, and then you will notice something. The Portugal part would be the disputed lands that Corlys was. You know, when he pulled up that map. Uh, so about eight hundred years ago, as of the time of the House of the Dragon, or about a thousand years ago in in, in Danny's time in, in Game of Thrones, uh, the Valerians turned a trade war into a war war by attacking the Ruinish port city of Sarhoi. They had some spice conflict about who was going to control the spice the spice trade and um, the things got pugilistic and the Roynar decided not to take this lying down. And Nimeria ruled her own city in Nysar along the Royn, where she advised caution and calm believing this war to be one that her people couldn't win because they didn't have dragons. And the Valerians... Had dragons, but she was shouted down. Even her own warriors wanted to join the cause because they're not going to put up with this Valerian Mm -hmm. bullshit. Uh, And the battle was a disaster. Despite having some initial successes attacking uh, Valerian outposts and remote cities, uh, the Valerian Freehold responded by sending not three, not 30 but 300 dragons against mm-hmm. Roynar, and essentially just started working their way down to the, 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 the river burning and enslaving everything that remained not on fire. Uh, so, Namiria seeing the results and all this death and destruction heading down the river towards her people. She says, this is untenable. She gathered 10,000 of her ships and it took all of her people which at this point was mostly women and children and old men, uh, which might remind you of some other person fleeing uh, some some other the d- d- mm. d- disaster, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and took to the seas. Um, she spent. Three to five years wandering the southern seas. She tried to land on this island and was repulsed by pirates. She tried landing on this other island and was repulsed by disease. Uh, You know, like uh, she lands, there's even a story of her landing in Nanth, which was. uh, Miss Andy's, you know, people that had the poison butterflies and oh, the- North, yeah, North, North, right. That yeah. that ended badly with all the poison butterflies, and she's just, you know, they're just being hounded and pursued, and of one place to another, and they can't find a home. So after these years of wandering. Uh, she finally makes it to Dorne across the step zones all the way to Dorne, which at the time was this dry desert land kind of ruled by these petty rival kings. They didn't really have their their stuff together. Fairly poor kingdom. Uh, and she found there a man named Moors Martell who saw both her great beauty and the fact that she had. Uh, you know, still uh, even in diminished capacity, a powerful warriors that would would increase his host uh, up to tenfold. Uh, she was smart. She was resourceful. Uh, they had wealth and technology and armor and arms far in advance of anything that they had in West uh, Westeros at the time. Uh, so they decided to get married. Uh, and they united the two people. And this is how, you know, if you've ever heard the, the king or the queen of Westeros described as the king or queen of the first men and the Andals and the Rhoynar. This is how the Rhoynar, right. th- that's the third racial group of, of man that uh, make up the population of, of Westeros. Right. Yeah. Uh, so now when Nimeria landed at Dorne, she famously had her vast fleet burnt at the coast as a sign to her people that their running was at an end and they'd finally found the home, which is kind of a shades of Spanish conqueror Cortez. He was more of like, we're not going home. We have to fight. She was more of like, our fighting is over. We are home. Uh, and this this cultural cross pollination of the 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 Andals and the Rhoynar is one of the big reasons that Dorne is so culturally distinct from the rest of the Seven Kingdoms of Westeros. Many of their cultural affectations, like the fact that they're their principality, they don't have kings or queens, and they have princes and princesses. Uh, they're not a kingdom. That state stems from ancient Roynerish customs. Uh, obviously, having an impressive woman leader uh, and having a majority of women like infused into the society uh, was also one of the reasons that the Dorn have like very different gender dynamics in their right.
2: politics. You know, they have no problems with women inheriting. Uh, in fact, it and was it kind of explains a little bit you know, the old animosity between the Dornish and the you know the the rulers of Westeros. Right.
0: And why they might have trouble bowing to a Valerian, to yes. kneel to a Valerian, why, why it took several, you know, many, uh, at least 150 years, they, they withstood the, uh, the Targaryen, uh, conquest longer than any other of the kingdoms. Um, but yeah, that's why they're relatively kind of progressive in, time, in terms of gender dynamics. Um, I, I mentioned Namiria's son or uh, a daughter. Uh, eldest daughter yeah, yeah. is the one who inherited the, the princess title of Dorne uh, over their sons. Uh, so you can also see why she is kind of the patron saint of uh, all little girls who want a little bit, something more. She was the boss bitch of the time. She had it all. She was able to lead fight, marry, have children, great wealth and power. Uh, she, she had it all. And women like Arya and uh, Rhaenyra, clearly see a a kinship in that.
2: Yeah. And I think that this does bookend, you know, uh, whether you or not, you like the end of the series, it does bookend Arya's decision to take to the sea. Right. Right. Now it's also interestingly why there
0: is this big region of disputed lands and why these islands are a mess down to this day, because the Roinar fled not too many hundred years later you had the doom of valeria you have this giant power vacuum and all the kind of like free states of uh city states of essos are kind of surrounding this area and they all kind of Mm. want to control it the access to the river all the ports all the you know fertile valleys and that's why
2: it is uh such a mess down to the day of uh, Viserys. right right Right, and then I, I think that this is interesting to me because, um, here we have in this first series at least three women that have aspirations, and they and they have they have they have know-how. They they're dragon riders. Mm-hmm. They could be queen, sure. Um, and of course, you know, this is sort of a parallel between sort of. Um, uh the french and the and the British in medieval in the medieval world, I think mm. a, a lot of times what will happen is um if if you marry a British woman as king. She's never going to have aspirations to be queen, but sometimes these these British kings would take for their wives a French woman, French nobility. Interesting. And and the French had a much different view of gender roles. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes what would happen with the French king is he would he would kick off, and then his spouse would then become the ruler. So sometimes what would happen is when the british king would marry the french woman she would have expectations for the the crown that a british woman might not have and i think that there there might be some parallel here between the the targaryens and the and the uh the roynar yeah sounds like it or the dornish or something like that
0: Are, are are we ready to
2: close our dusty tomes anthony until next week, and then of course, if you if you're curious about any of this, uh, if you're curious to hear any more um, uh, from uh, my podcast Double Dragon, do a search for Double Dragon over at Double Dragon. We uh, this this week I interviewed uh, Nat- Natalie Goodison who is a, a medievalist PhD and she tells us about C-section in the medieval world. Lots of people having questions about that this week.
0: A lot of people wondering yeah. like, what is the alternative? What were the medical mm-hmm. outcomes and outlooks? Uh, so that's, yeah. uh, that's a
2: hot so topic. So she's a- yeah, she's an expert on these ancient texts and she's like got diagrams for like how to turn a baby if it's a breach and what would happen if you tried to, you know, accomplish a C-section. And she's got old pictures of, of uh, you know, people trying to accomplish this. Task. I did. I did a little
0: bit of research in this and I came across one passage of a Roman wo- noblewoman where the uh-huh. midwives put her in a blanket and tossed her like you would. You know, like, 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 you know, trampoline (laughs) style, just toss her, toss her, toss her to get the baby to flip around. Wild stuff. Wild stuff. Yeah. This Uh, is the popcorn method, I guess. Yeah. This is before we had (laughs) uh, uh, (laughs) obstetricians or whatever. Yeah. uh, OBGYNs. We had. Blanket parties, I guess. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. To, so, to do, if, if you're
2: interested in that, double dragon, and then I also interview a medievalist named Ian McGinnis, who's a who's an expert on warfare, and uh, he answers a listener question about what did these folks do with dead bodies? A lot mm. of dead bodies. What What would you do with them? And uh, I guess it. it, it uh, he he talks about the various ways that people would deal with their dead bodies. All right, we'll check. Follow the Maester for more of that,
0: and uh, tune in all this this uh, this season for more Maesters Corner on our House our Hot D podcast. Thanks, Anthony. Thanks, man. All right, that'll do it for the Maesters Corner. We've got a couple more emails, but they are mostly about the back. None of this is spoilers, just like the Maesters Corner, but they are like behind background. Um, You know foundational type information it doesn't directly deal with like the 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 events at hand like i said i i i I do not consider them spoilers but if you're largely concerned with what's on screen and don't care as much about the background feel free to skip this part And who
1: knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. Since the dawn of time, we've been putting clothes on our back that identify us with our people, our group, our tribe. And while Bald
0: Move might be one of the smallest, weirdest tribes out there, transcending all concepts of border, class, culture, and
1: creed, we still have respect for the old ways. At support.baldmove.com, you can get t-shirts, hats, mugs, and more. We have something for every one of our podcasts, or just wear the four pips of the Bald Move logo with pride. Bald Move merch beats running
0: around naked, and they make a great gift for the Bald Move fan in your life. Join our tribe! Head over to support.baldmove.com and click on Merch to start shopping. raise up first. He says, after listening to your first takes of the episode for the first time, I found myself disagreeing with your impression of the bomb, that germ dropped at the end of the episode. I, for one, never liked the idea that Targaryen's conquered for the sake of conquering. And this gives a deeper meaning to their actions. I know this revelation at first glance seems to be at odds with the lore, but let me explain how I made sense of it. You have to disregard game of Thrones season in seven and eight, uh, to make this work. I'm, I'm cool hmm. with that. I am ready to set aside <laughs> season seven and eight, Never happened. Uh, the prophecy is meaningless if you hold on to the notion that Arya kills the Night King while Lannister sits on the throne. But at some point, this prophecy has to be lost in order for Rhaegar to rediscover it. Yes, that was one of the questions: is like how does Rhaegar stumble out of the te- you know the library with new information if this was passed heir to heir? Says my theory is that prophecy is lost with Aegon the Unworthy. Since, and this is going to, Aegon the Unworthy's plot f- line that leads to the Blackfire Rebellion is a good 70 to 80 years in the future at this point. So, we've got this Targaryen's passing secret to secret. We get the Ma- Aegon the Unworthy. He says, since he believed his son was actually his brothers, he wouldn't have shared the secret with him. Instead, he legitimized his bastards and shared it with the two he wanted to sit on the throne after him, specifically the Blood Raven. Now, you will better know this guy as the old man that was warged into the tree that Bran okay. goes to learn the arts of the Jedi from. Yeah. This leaves the rest of the Targaryen kings without the knowledge until Rhaegar. If blood, ra- the Blood Raven was given the prophecy, that would have also given us more reason for the Blackfire Rebellion. It could also explain why he seeks out the Three Eyed Raven. Since in his time the dragons were gone, he would want to seek the knowledge to prevent the long night without them. This leading to seeking out Bran. This, like I said, there's a lot going for this. And I think it's really interesting to see the community trying to go through and piece this stuff together, because I don't think George would just make something new up. It's more of like, as he's gardening, he's noticing that, Oh, there's some interesting tendrils growing in this direction. And if you shape them just right, they're going to make this interesting new connection. That's going mm-hmm. to, you know, breathe new life into the thing. Um, I want to move on to Dylan. Dylan, it says, I think the better question about Aegon the Conqueror's dream is how the fuck that information got to Jaehaerys in the first place. In the first episode, Viserys tells Rhaenyra the prophecy has been passed from king to heir since Aegon, but the succession from Aegon to Jaehaerys was really a, just a giant shit show. This is the, tar- the Targaryen history. Their succession, yeah. <laughs> with rare exception, a shit show. Mm. Uh, presumably Aegon told his eldest son Anus. That's right. Oh, not Anis. On. Not Anis. niece, Anus. Uh, a naked anus in the Targaryen family tree. You knew there had to be one, right? <laughs> who who told his eldest son Aegon ii uh. But after anus died and Aegon II was killed by Megor, the prophecy would have presumably been lost, unless it was passed on to Megar by his mother vicinia Assuming Aegon the Conqueror told his sister wives of the dream. That's the key. There's no fucking way Aegon shared his bed and his throne and everything with his sisters and didn't tell them about this dream he had. I just think that that's, this is, this is the key. So at one point, all three heads of the dragon knew and were working as one uh, about this prophecy. But that still that still leaves the question of Jaharis, since he was pretty much sheltered and hidden on Driftmark during the reign of his uncle Magor. Driftmark, of course, you'll remember is the, the seat of power of the Valerians. Mm-hmm. After Magor's death, I think Jaharis would have been given the secret by either his mother, Alyssa Valerian, the wife of Anus, or his older sister Raina, the sister wife of Aegon II. That may be getting too far into the weeds, but I think this illustrates that the prophecy had to have gotten all the way to Rhaegar since the line of succession was actually much messier from Aegon the Conqueror to Jaehaerys than it was from Aeneer to Rhaegar. There are still some hiccups in the line, including Darren the First getting... Do you want to, would you like to host a podcast? Because you've got this shit down <laughs> cold, man. Apparently. Apparently. Uh, Darien getting ambushed in Dorne, leading to Balor the Blessed's becoming king, and the fire at Summerhall wiping out a lot of Targaryen family. Again, some interesting history there, but overall a much cleaner thread all the way down to Rhaegar. Brody wants to throw in his little pet hitch in the theory, which is given the Mad King's, well, madness and his contempt that he often held for his heir and fear of being usurped, could it be that he's the one who broke the chain of passing things down? He might have chose to withhold it from his son, and so Rhaegar found his way to it by his own means and thus mistakes it for his own prophecy. Maybe a thin read of the 150 years we have to go and play with, but given how hot D seems to want to tie itself to Game of Thrones rather closer, I don't think it's the craziest possibility. Uh, yeah, I think these are all interesting. I think that's these are all plausible and it's going to be interesting to see how Martin fills these holes going forward and to what end, you know, why is he doing this? Is it because they have a long-term Kit Harington finance plan to redeem the original game of Thrones and then do some kind of Mm Jon Snow sequel series? I, I don't know because like I, or is this, is, is this hinting of things that are going to happen? Is this new information we can do some winds of winter dream of spring speculation on? um we'll see we'll see
1: I've got a question am Am I crazy or at the end of this episode is Rhaenyra shown to be reading from a book that contains this information the description of this dream did she I don't remember that right I feel like I remember her reading something at the very end of this episode, but I could be wrong because she was like at, at the end of the episode, she just time.
0: stood before a bunch of lords in front of her father, and they swore feal- swore fealty to her. Are you thinking okay. about what the 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 scene where her and Allison are in the the, the Godswoods studying the history book about no, Emira?
1: Because that's definitely Allison reading from the book. Okay, um, gotcha. No, I, th- I maybe. thought maybe it was written down, but but I could totally be wrong about that. Um. finally, this is our
0: final email. We have Cyrus who says, you guys talked about why the wall had fallen in disarray or why the wall falls in disarray. If it's known to the Targaryens that this is key to save. you know, Westeros is key to saving the world. Well, the wall had fallen in disarray by the time of a song of ice and fire, but it's pretty well garrisoned in the past. The disarray could be a victim of the lost information of a somehow lost post dance of the dragons. You guys mentioned how the Targaryen specifically, Aegon, never visited the wall, but in the books and even the show, there's an inherent magic to the wall. Magic of the Children of the Forest, something that seems diametrically opposite to the da- magic of the dragons. Uh, there is an event where A- Alison Targaryen, the queen to Jaehaerys I, attempts to travel north beyond the wall on Silverwing, her dragon, and the dragon refuses to proceed. Now, in the Game of Thrones TV show, it seems like Danny does not have an issue with this. But that was also late stage Game of Thrones, where there exists questionable canon according to Gurm. Wondering if the Targaryens did not visit the wall because of the magic of the dragons worked less so. If in the Game of Thrones TV shows events are in line with Gurm, perhaps the Targaryens dare not go past the wall, else risk the others gaining an ice dragon, and hence the ability to take the wall down. Uh, although the books have a lot of that. Remember that horn they found? Mm-hmm. Boy, that was that was a in big old chest, big yeah. old piece of speculation. That was that that that's a thing that went nowhere. <laughs> uh-huh. Um So I want to talk about this. I the thing is, is like, yeah, 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 yeah. This is all well and good. But like we have a hundred and years of Targaryen history. They conquered this realm to unify it against the White Walkers and they don't do really anything to rehabilitate the wall. Queen Alicent is or I'm sorry, Alicent jaharis's wife is one of the few that do take an active interest takes a shine to the uh, to the to the uh, the black brothers as we mentioned it was her that motivated uh, Jaharis doubling the gift so they give the brothers even more resources but they don't actually increase the garrison they did build a, a new castle at the wall to replace uh, the old night fort that was too old and dilapidated but it was a smaller fortification to scale down to the present manpower they have to make it easier on the brothers to do the upkeep it wasn't like an expansion or like a bigger more impressive fortification yeah. so you have to wonder were the targaryens is thinking that as long as we have dragons we'd be okay and that's the real thing you need you need you need a targaryen on the throne and you need a centralized westeros you need dragons and that's it because as mm-hmm. you point out there's a lot of magic and a lot of protection in that wall why the fuck are only three castles out of the uh, what is it thirteen along that stretch are garrisoned? Why is it that they're not keeping up with cutting the woods back so that they've got a clear vantage point? Like why are they so lackadaisical about the actual bur? E- even in times like Jaharis has like one of the longest most prosperous reigns where he could have definitely made that a priority. There was nothing really distracting him from that. W- why? I yeah. I I don't think there is an answer as of yet. So. Uh, finally, and I promise to keep this short, the prince that was promised in the Azor High prophecy are connected to the Long Night. Many Targaryens thought of themselves as the embodiment of that prophecy. Maybe Aegon thought of himself as Zora High. Maybe uh, we will see Egg from the Duncan Egg series feel the same before the tragedy of Summerhall. Uh, he's referring to this tragedy of Summerhall where the Targaryens were trying to do a last-ditch effort to resurrect dragons, hatch dragon eggs, and somehow they burnt down this... Uh, house where a lot of prominent Targaryens are and they, they burn themselves alive. It's crazy. Right. Not another Targaryen self-inflicted gunshot wound. Rhaegar certainly felt, uh, he was it and was also assisted by Maester Aemon until he was convinced that it might be his kin Both both John and Danny embody elements of the prince that was promised as well. Perhaps it was not in one individual, but just dragons themselves, or maybe the Targaryen lineage itself was it. Remember, it was always like the dragon has to have three heads. There's mm-hmm. always it, it, I, I, I never thought of as a singular figure um, is prefixing, you know, Aegon and his sisters. Rhaegar already had two children. He wanted to add a third. Like there's, there's, there's a lot of that to it too. Um, perhaps this is why they're so obsessed in keeping their bloodline concentrated in their offspring, hence marrying brother to sister. Maybe what Rhaegar and Aemon found was the information was lost because of Dance of Dragons. So it's how they could connect the hot D to the GOT a tragedy due to human ego and desires that could potentially doom the world of men, if not for Danny and John. Yeah, yeah, I. Yeah, but those are the questions we have, you know. Like, why is all this? Where did the? You know, how many years was this secret not passed? What kings didn't know about it? When was that? You know, when did it resurface? Like, there's. But because right now it just seems like it adds a lot of monkey wrench and has a lot of early Targaryen behavior, kind of inexplicable. But uh, that's just because it hasn't been explained yet. Mm-hmm. D at BaldMove.com is how you get feedback to our podcast. You can follow everything that Bald Move does at Twitter.com slash BaldMove. Probably the best way to stay on top of all we're doing. If you want to make sure you get all of our dragon and spaceship and zombie and superhero coverage. I highly recommend you subscribe to bald move pulp. And if you like the other stuff, the Emmy award winning Oscar winning side of things, we are uh, hosting some quality movie reviews over on bald move prestige. And that's where we also cover more prestige based television. Uh, So check those out. We will be back Sunday night. Of course, just after 10 o'clock after the episode drops, we'll be doing our instant take podcast. Uh, Of course, our club members are welcome to join us to watch the live and stick around to the instant talk portion where we will be taking their questions live. If you want to join the club, it's easy to do so. Support.baldmove.com. You get access to all that great premium content as well as ad-free feeds and a bunch more stuff. Support.baldmove.com. Hot D at baldmove.com is where you send feedback. We'll be back Sunday night and have a full recap of the next episode on Tuesday. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. See ya.